Hi friends, you're listening to the Eucharist Church Podcast, coming at you live from downtown Hamilton, Ontario. We are currently meeting on Zoom during this season, and so we invite you to join us on Wednesday nights. We meet from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, and then following our liturgy, we have a half an hour where people are welcome to join breakout groups, either with the same people every week, if you want to build some relationships, or just in a group for whoever's there for one night. We also have a children's program that runs on Sunday mornings, as well as a community check-in. And so you can go and find all of that information at eucharistchurch.ca, as well as figure out what we are going to be doing as we hopefully start to emerge out of this pandemic over the next few months. But for now, let's jump into the sermon podcast. Luke 24, starting at verse 13. And look... On that very day, two of them were journeying to a village 60 stadia away from Jerusalem, the name of which was Emmaus. And they were talking with each other about all these events. I should just clarify, this takes place right after the death and resurrection of Christ, and when some of the women have now claimed to see him risen, but these two disciples haven't. Sorry for the distraction. Back to the ancient world. They were talking with each other about all these things. And it happened that, as they talked and debated, Jesus himself appeared and journeyed along with them. But their eyes were constrained so as not to recognize him. And he said to them, What are these remarks you exchange with one another while walking? And they stood still with saddened expressions. And in reply, one of them, Cleopas by name, said to him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and ignorant of the things happening in it these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, a man who was a prophet, mighty in work and word before God and all the people. But the chief priests and our rulers both handed him over, for condemnation to death, and crucified him. But we had been hoping that he was the one about to liberate Israel. And in addition to all of this, it has reached the third day since these things occurred. But some women among us also astonished us, having come to the tomb early in the morning, and not finding his body, came and told us of having seen a vision of angels who say that he lives. And some of us with them, sorry, and some of those with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but did not see him. And he said to them, Oh, fools, and with hearts slow to believe in all the things of which the prophet spoke, was it not necessary for the anointed to endure these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, And with all the prophets, he expounded to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And as they approached the village to which they were journeying, and he made as if to journey further on. And they urged him intently, saying, Stay with us, for it's towards evening, and this day has now set. And he went inside to stay with them. And it happened that as he reclined at table with them, 
He took a loaf and blessed it, and having broken it, he shared it with them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Was not our heart burning within us while he spoke to us on the road, as he opened the scriptures to us? And rising up that same hour, they returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together along with those who were with them, saying, The Lord truly has been risen and appeared to Simon. And they related the things that had happened on the road and how he had been recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus here appears to two disciples, and their eyes are constrained from seeing him. And I love that word constrained, because I always thought that Jesus sort of showed up in disguise. I don't know about anybody else, like he's got a fake mustache and a little like big nose and glasses, like kind of this like Jesus is tricking them. He's trying to pull one over on them. And I always thought it was a little rude, like one of the kids in church said, Jesus just showed up trolling people. That's what one of the kids said at Sunday school. And I was, I was like, yeah, that just kind of seemed like, I guess he just wants to have fun with them. But on this reading, I realized that their eyes are constrained. Something in the way they are seeing is stopping them from seeing. It's not that Jesus doesn't want them to see him. It's that they can't yet see him. So I'm going to do something uh, that we've done a couple times. I invite you to open up your chat if you're near a chat window. Uh, if you're near your computer, I want to hear from you guys. Think about one of your best friends and type in the chat when you first saw them. Just the first interaction you had with a close friend of yours. Take a moment, type that in. Like, were you at a party? Were you at an event? Where were they? Just, just you noticed them. Not the first time you had a big chat, just the first time that you noticed them. At a wedding, Karen says. Yep, classic. <laughs> you got lots of time to dance and eat and drink. First visit to Eucharist, my dude Dave at my wedding, Meg says, that's true. A frosh week concert, rock and roll. Orientation day, totally. At work, at a party with a bunch of friends. High school, a friend who found him, fouled him in basketball, fouled her in basketball. Uh, the rock wall at camp, grade 10 drama camp, great. So we're, we're naming here when the first time you saw a friend was. Now I want to ask you, because you see them physically, Right? This is the first time you see them. Physics class in high school, Heather says. You probably don't see someone in physics class in high school and say, that's going to be my best friend. <laughs> right? You, you just see them in their body, physical. But there's this whole other side to who we are, isn't there? There's the physical side of us. And then there's the metaphysical side of us, the invisible part of who we are, the emotional side of us, the mental side of us, the desire side of us. And that's what many people would categorize as the spiritual side of us. That spiritual is sort of a catchphrase for all that is not physical. So I had all these people type in great little stories. Read them later. Not now. There's a sermon happening. But later. Uh, but that's where we first physically saw people. Now I want people to type in, when was the first time you spiritually connected? You connected at a deeper level of the, the psyche, the emotions, the mind. When did you spiritually connect with a close friend? I'll give you a second to type those in as well. And that doesn't mean that they have to be religious or anything. Everybody is spiritual, whether they know it or not. We just don't always have language for it. Oh, I love that. Coffee shop discussing creativity and nostalgia. First time sharing a meal. Classic. 
Rachel, over coffee, yes, those slow, long conversations. Praying together, yeah, uncover all these new things. Years later, traveling together. Funny, years can go by from physically seeing somebody to when you spiritually see somebody. Conversations on the phone, March break skating in the backyard, when, some, when a friend called and asked for prayer, amazing. Again, read some of these later. Uh, painting together, these are so great. Um, we're gonna leave them all there because uh, they should be revisited later. I guess what I wanted to point out in that, and I, I'm glad for these illustrations, is that if we are physical creatures and we are spiritual creatures, then there's a way to see somebody that is just seeing their face or uh, you know, seeing the elements of them, their arms, you know, the blood, the body, the guts, you don't see that in your friends, but that's all body. And then there's the spiritual side of your friends, their dreams, desires, fears, hope, the meaning they have in life. Here's why I wanted to do that observation. No one saw Jesus spiritually in his life, which really built a lot of empathy for me to Christ. As I noticed that people see him physically in the scriptures, they surround him, they come to him, they ask for physical healing, but nobody really saw the spiritual side of who he was. The spirits recognized it. If you notice how the demons always freak out when they see him, because they know the spiritual side of Christ. There's a moment where Peter seems like he totally gets Jesus. Do you guys remember this moment where Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God, and Jesus is like, yes, Peter, I didn't reveal this to you in flesh and blood. God revealed my spiritual life to you. And then Peter goes, yeah, that's amazing. And Jesus goes, and now what's going to happen? I'm going to go into Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed. And Peter goes, no, 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 that can't happen. You got to liberate us. And Jesus is like, oh, I thought I had a friend. You know, like I thought somebody finally saw me just for a moment. And they still don't see him on the road. But unlike other times where they recognized him physically, this time their eyes are blinded from seeing him physically and spiritually. Are you guys tracking with this, by the way? I know it's a little esoteric, but I think it's getting us somewhere. Great. So they'd say, we had thought he would liberate Israel. We thought he'd liberate us from the Romans who oppress us. They still don't see him. And so Jesus, this is so cool, Jesus takes them through the scriptures and he begins to point out where he is and how his life is foretold in all the Old Testament. Pop quiz, though, how many times is Jesus the Christ named in the Old Testament explicitly by his title and name? He's not. He's not actually named in the Old Testament. And so what does it mean that they would go through the whole Old Testament and Jesus could point out all the places that found him? It means that he had to point out all the places where he was spiritually visible in the Old Testament. He was never physically visible, but he was spiritually visible. And so he has to start pointing out where he is found in qualities that are invisible, in characteristics, in personality, in spirit. When you read the Old Testament, and this is how the church fathers read the Old Testament, you can read it looking for Christ. But you have to look for not the physical Christ, but the attributes of Christ. Grace, mercy, justice, or its absence. Because you might find characters who are like Christ in some ways. They're archetypes, they're patterns, they're echoes of who Christ will be, like Moses, like David. But also you'll find characters who look like Christ until they fail to be Christ-like. But in every way, these characters are giving us more and more clarity about who we should expect the one that will fully represent God to God's people. 
is this making any sense? Are we tracking here? I used to say, are we tracking all the time in life? But then I couldn't do it on Zoom because it's too weird. Just give me some nods if this is making any sense at all. Okay. So they, he's trying to help them see the shape of his spirit in the text, but they still can't fully see him. Here's what's important to notice. He's actually just priming them. He's setting them up to notice him at the right time. He's still physically hidden, but having done a Bible study with them for a few hours, he is now spiritually revealed. But we all, this is so great. We always learn best, and this is like pure teaching theory, when we make the connection. Anybody else heard this idea? That when you make a connection yourself is when your mind best understands things. We call this in teaching the aha moment. That moment when someone goes like, oh, I get it. Someone else didn't reveal it to me. Flesh and blood didn't reveal it to me. But the spiritual world, the God has allowed me to make a new connection. Aha! And so they feel drawn to Jesus somehow, even though they don't know it's him. And they invite him to come into the house and break bread and eat with them. It's enough of a draw for that. But it's in that beautiful moment when they've been spiritually looking for Jesus that now Christ plays out an old pattern they would have seen before. He breaks the bread after giving thanks. I've got bread right here. He breaks the bread after giving thanks and they witness it and suddenly everything clicks. Everything. The physical patterns the spiritual patterns. They see Christ spiritually. They see Christ physically. They understand the past. They understand the present. They understand the future. Suddenly, all of this has come together for just a moment. They have a mystical moment of clarity. And then, poof, he's gone. Because that's how it works. You can see things physically you can see things spiritually. But the mystical, beautiful moments are those moments when they overlap, and though they are brief and they're passing, they can set an impact in you that lasts forever. When these disciples encountered Christ for just a moment, they saw him physically and spiritually. It was a seismic shift that reshaped the entire trajectory of the church until us today, because Christ opened up the scriptures for them, and then they could see him in both senses. This all making sense so far? <laughs> a little bit? So, what does this have to do with us? Well, let's start landing this into our life. First off, he opens the scriptures to them because Christ is the key to understanding the Bible. And if you are going to read the scriptures as a Christian, it's wisest to always read the scriptures through the lens of Christ, whether pointing to Christ pointing how Christ is different than the other examples in scriptures, clarifying something in Christ, turning Christ's life to a new angle. The scriptures are always meant to be unveiling Jesus's life, but it's not just the scriptures. Christ is the key to unlocking the scriptures, but Christ is actually the key to unlocking history to making sense of all human history, making sense of the cosmos. Colossians tells us that in Christ, all things were made and all things hold together and all things will be reconciled. So Christ, and not just Christ in a body, but the, the logos, the, the logic, the love, the justice, the mercy, that is the key to unlocking that the greatest became the least, that God entered into death in order to defeat death and bring back life. The fullness of this vision of Christ is the key to unlocking every story. This is why the Bible says Christ is judge. 
that everything in reality will be judged against the life of Christ, self-sacrifice, mercy, justice, joy, forgiveness, grace. That is the judge of all things, all history, all cultures, all things will be held up against that. That's why when you see in our culture, in our country, injustice, it bothers you so much. Because you're judging our culture as it relates to Christ. That's why issues of land justice matter, because you know that Christ would never use violence to take from another. That's why you want creation care, because you know that Christ, who was in all things and created all things, would want all things to continue to be held together. That's why in our city, you want safety for those who are most on the margins. Why you want safe housing is because you're judging our city's housing strategy against Christ and you find it wanting. That's why you want community and connection because you see how Christ brought in those on the margins and you desire to do so yourself. It's also even how you make sense of your own story. It can be at least. What do you do with your pain? You either allow your pain to rule you or you hold it up with Christ and you see how Christ invites you to enter into your pain and to have your pain transformed. We hold up our disappointments to Christ, our work, our jobs, our family, our friendships. We hold everything up to that person of Christ, not just the physical, but the spiritual, who he was and what he represented. We hold all of that up to Christ and allow Christ to shape our stories by seeing him more clearly. He is the key to unlock history. But we don't meet him alone. I love that on the road, Christ doesn't meet them isolated as individuals, but he meets them together. That these two friends are walking together slowly. They're talking, they're debating, they're trying to make sense of their own story. And they're trying to make sense of the story of their people. And sometimes we need other people to help us see Christ. And when Christ appears, he starts opening their story with the two of them together. And he begins to prime them for that future aha moment. But they also begin to prime one another for that aha moment. Did you notice how in this very literal translation I have, it says, was not our heart burning within us? Not, was not our hearts, were not our hearts burning within us? But these friends have become bonded in the heart. Was not our heart that we share burning within us when he opened the scriptures to us? And this kind of friendship, this kind of friendship that opens up our stories, that starts making meaning of our lives, that starts investigating the pain we've encountered and what it means in light of resurrection has a title in Christian tradition. It's called spiritual friendship. And I've, over the last couple of years, part of the last four years, I've been trying to understand more about spiritual friendship because I love all friendship. Like I love having fun. I love being silly. I love like eating food and being noisy and I love wrestling. Like I just love fun. You know, I could have fun with my friends all day. It's great. But there's also a special kind of friendship that isn't just asking you how you're doing or trying to have fun, but is actually trying to open up your story and trying to make sense of it and trying to find Christ in it, and trying to make meaning of it. 
So I guess I'll ask you all right now. You don't have to type in the chat. Who are your spiritual friends? Who are those friends that don't just want to keep it at the level of the physical, but want to dig in a couple layers? Who want to ask how your soul, your psyche is doing? Who want to ask how you're making meaning out of the suffering and pain that you're encountering? Who are those friends that keep watch for Christ with you so that you might experience resurrection? And who are the people for whom you are that friend? You're the one that calls or texts and gets in just at another level. Who are the friends that once this stupid pandemic is over, you can't wait to break bread with and see how Christ might appear? Spiritual friends can help you understand the story. What story will you end up telling about this last year in isolation? What story will you tell about the fear you felt during COVID? The sickness of those around you? What story will you tell about the isolation you've encountered? What story will you tell about the exhaustion that you feel or that those you love feel? Because Eucharist Church, it matters what story you tell. I hope you know that. That all stories are not equally good. You can tell yourself a story about your bitterness and your anger and your rage and your fear, and you can leave it there. But that story won't open you up. And that story won't set your heart ablaze. Spiritual friends can help you tell a better story. A story in which you receive the spiritual life of Christ and you encounter joy and hope and transformation and resurrection. Spiritual friends help you unlock your story and help you feel what is burning. Were not our hearts burnt, was not our heart burning within us when he told us the story in that way. As you tell the story with your friends about what you're experiencing right now, pay attention to what's burning. Pay attention to what starts to light you up. Pay attention to what starts to make meaning and sense out of what you've experienced because that is the inner resonance, that feeling of burning. That is the inner resonance with what is true and what is ancient and what is holy. And you can start telling yourself that story now. You can start telling each other that story now, even if you don't fully believe it yet. You actually don't have to believe it physically yet. You can just start to believe it spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. You can just start to put faith in that story, priming yourself, getting yourself with your spiritual friends ready for those physical moments when everything clicks. Getting yourself ready for that moment you will have if you keep living in faith, that moment that is a flash of integration when it all comes together, when the bread is broken and the resonance overwhelms you and you instinctively cheer, aha, because you have finally seen the risen Christ. And then he's gone. And that's enough. Amen. I invite you to take a moment to just ask yourself, 
maybe ask the spirit, is there a friend that pops into your head at this moment? A spiritual friend that you maybe haven't talked to for a while, or maybe you're not chit-chatters, so you don't chat throughout the day, but you need to message or call in the next couple of days. Take a second just to sit in that, and if God brings anything up, then you are stuck with that truth, but if you just hear my voice in your head, you are welcome to ignore it. So take a second to ask the Spirit if there's someone that comes to mind, and then uh, Jill will lead us in a time of prayer. Thank you.